Hey, hey, I'm Jimmy Bullard, and this is me old muck of Venus. We're back together, son. How are you? Hey, Bully, great to be back working with you. What are we doing here, though? We're starting a football club in podcast form. The only thing we know, it's called FC Bullard. After that, it's all up for grabs. So, we haven't got any players, we haven't got a kit, we haven't got a club badge, we haven't got a stadium. Correct. FC Bullard. Welcome to the club. This is a crowd podcast. This episode is sponsored by the Harrington Smiths. That's Dad Dale and son, get this, Marla. Hmm, poor lad. To be an official sponsor just like them, go to patreon.com forward slash Joe Marla Show and grow the show today. Grow the show if you know Joe and Tom for everyone. I'll spread the word. Have you heard Joe Marla Show? Joe Marla Show. So that was Christmas. Joe, how was yours? Did you have a good one? I need something else that rhymes with yours. Whores. Did you have any Chris? No. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that famous time of the year where you celebrate by frequenting with whores. A tinselly whore. Oh, my God. As if this is the fucking start (laughs) of our first episode back after our Christmas break. It's your fault. It's your fault. You brought it up. What else rhymes with yours apart from whores? Paws. Okay. Rugby nores. Oh, God. You you had to go there, didn't you? I've had lots of your cake and it's clogged up my paws. That's nice, yeah. And then I had afters. With eight or nine whores. <laughs> <laughs> this is bad. Um, Welcome back, Tom. Welcome Joe, back. It's nice to see you. We walked to the studio a few moments ago and you got very excited in a Soho doorway. <laughs> <laughs> Explain the context, please. So we've left the cafe where we've had a coffee and we're walking to the studio and you stopped in this doorway and you pointed very excitedly at a sign advertising a Soho Tailors, which was called Soho Buttonholes. Yeah, now, I didn't realise this. We had been exchanging stories about uh, our time spent in a certain Dutch country. Dutch country. A certain Dutch Dutch city. I think you've disguised that one really well. Ah! Which Dutch country could it be? Anyway, walk out of there. I'm waiting for you because you're carrying your fucking guitar, which... (laughs) And then I just looked up at this doorway and there was three signs of these, <laughs> what was in this set of flats or offices. And I went, what the fuck? And I thought it said so hot. And I, then I went, oh, where's Tom? I need to show him what this is. And it said like 11A Soho buttholes. And I was like, <laughs> what the fuck? But to actually call your shop Soho buttholes, <laughs> I was like, fucking hell, fair enough. And then I looked at it again and then it says Soho buttonholes. So my mistake. My mistake. Anyway, how was your Christmas? Good? My Christmas was very good, thanks, Joe. Um, Do you know what? I think I prefer, you're not going to like this, I prefer Boxing Day and or Christmas Eve to Christmas Day. Agreed. Yeah? Yeah. But why? Why do you prefer Boxing Day? Boxing Day, number one, less pressure. Number two, 
enjoying all the good times of Christmas. You've got your presents, you've got your food, you've got your booze. Number three, sport. There's more sport. Sport. More sport to watch, to play, to enjoy. Specifically Dutch sport. Always Dutch sport. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And um, smoke. You have a smoke and a boxing day. Always a boxing day smoke. Yeah, why not? Smoke and a pancake. I like it because um, that's when Christmas is over. Yeah. And I can fuck the tree off out the window. <laughs> what, on Boxing Day? Yeah, that's what we do. Do you? Yeah, it's a tradition. Well done, kids. Happy Christmas. It's fucking over now. Launch tree. I ate, I ate it. I ate to be a thing, but I ated it. I loved it for the kids and seeing their faces and, you know, I have to play the part because I don't want to, you know, ruin it for them this early in their lives. But I ate it. If Christmas was never to happen again, like mm. Boris tried doing, yeah. I'd be quite happy about that. Have you ever considered, like, should rugby end earlier than it's going to end, or this podcast fail? Have you considered? As, uh, sorry, as as a sport, or <laughs> yeah, it's just for gonna... me personally, either or. Okay, would you consider some seasonal workers Father Christmas? Because I've nice... got black jeans on. Yeah. I've got a black t-shirt on. Yeah, I've got no shoes on. Yeah, I'm not saying you do I've Father black, Christmas like I've this. I've got a black hat on. All of those elements mean they are slimming. And you're fucking saying that I could be a Santa Claus. <laughs> I think you could do a good ho, ho, ho. Go on. Talking of hoes. <laughs> Christmas is done. But. Hole. But hole. Well played. <laughs> we do have the chance to win another present. Wow. It is now 2022. And we have got a signed England rugby shirt. Serious? Serious. Serious? Who signed it? You're going to have to guess. Uh, Marcus Smith. He, no. Well, the, the other breakout star of the Autumn Internationals, Freddie Stewart. No, he didn't make the cut either. Fazmeister. Afraid not. The man who either is going to be the best captain ever or the worst captain ever, depending on what mood Eddie's in. Oh. Maritz OJ. Controversial. <laughs> right, this could go on for ages. Unfortunately, it's just signed by me. Hmm. But it's an, definitely an English shirt, is it? I think so. An England rugby shirt? Is it just one of your shirts? So how's this going to work? The competition's going to work like this. Anyone who buys a boblat... In January? Anyone that buys a boblat in January will enter into a... Draw. Whore. <laughs> anyone who buys a boblat in January will enter into a whore, a draw, and they will be picked out at random using a randomizer. Oh, yeah, because got, I got one of those for Christmas. Yep. And uh, they can have the shirt. All right. So fundamentally what we're saying is people should buy bubble hats because then they are in with a chance of getting a England shirt signed only by you. Now that you've said it out loud, that's really that's a really shit present. Maybe maybe a shirt signed by the whole team. There we go. Signed by the whole team. There you go. Yeah, get, you got, how are you gonna get that sorted? I'll ask Jamie George for one of his. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, buy some bubble hats, please. Let's get a guest on. Please. Joe, unless he's been practising. I have been practising. Obviously, you're not going to fuck up the intro. Let's see how this goes, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) I could hear someone's heartbeat. Was that yours? I could hate it. Help me. They're forcing me to do this show. Chris, can you do your own intro? I need your help. Say good morning. My name's Chris. Uh, I'm one of the listeners, and I'm here in Joe and Tom's podcast, the Joe Marler Show. <laughs> he's fucking coming in, and he's schooled you. <clears throat> <clears throat> oh, fuck off! 
Yeah, okay, he's nailed it. Like, can't we do that all the time, rather than me having to melt over a one-liner? <coughs> Our guest today is a surgeon called Chris. He's also a listener to the show. He sounds so much better at much doing better. it. Much better. Chris, thank you for doing that. Um, You're welcome. Good you morning. You did that really, really well. I was just talking. I've been practising. He's got a nice voice, Chris. Yeah, I was, that's yeah. my next point. You've got a really good voice. Oh, it's terrible. You know when you hear it back, and I'm like, who's that? He sounds like a right twat. I can tell you now that is a lovely voice, Joe. Okay, thank you. Yeah, he's got a nice voice. I like his voice. Uh, but I'm not here to talk to you about your voice. Um, we're here to talk about you being a surgeon. Like a not like a knife surgeon. There's yeah. not like a hidden thing. You're like a proper surgeon, eh? Yeah, standing there, knife in the hand, cutting into people, and hopefully making them better. That's that's the aim of the game. It's quite handy for you, this Joe, isn't it? Well, I'm just I'm just thinking <laughs> about touching different parts of my body. That Chris could replace. Going, oh, can he help me with that bit? Can he help me with that bit? So, and you, you specialise in hips, yeah? Yeah, so hips and uh, from trauma, kind of any of the bones basically on the on the limbs so i leave the neck and the back alone they're a bit complicated for me but the arm the leg and the pelvis are kind of the bread and butter so broken arms broken legs ankles hips that sort of thing and then my area of sort of expertise is is pelvic surgery so the hip joint and the the pelvis which is the ring of the bone at the bottom of the spine is it when people are rushing in like i'm thinking of er do you remember er mm. i loved er I re- in fact do you know what she have a night casualty here first time in like <laughs> Did you? Five or six Is years. Charlie's still, Charlie's still in it. He's having a bit of a meltdown. He's a bit poorly at the minute. And uh, it was a repeat sort of episode from a previous. And fucking That's hell. why he's still on it, because it's a repeat. No, no, no. No, no, <laughs> you swat. <laughs> <laughs> he's got me. No, he's still on it. I couldn't believe it. He's, he's anyway, he must move be due his pension. Or a hip replacement. Or a hip replacement, yeah. Well played. But you see them rushing in and everyone's like treating it. Are you that guy that they then send immediately? Or do you have time to prep? So the vast majority of the stuff we do is prep. So we'll come in and we'll plan for it the next day or the day afterwards. So it depends. Some of the stuff we all do. And if we've got space, we'll fix them. So sort of wrists, ankles, legs. And then all of us have an area of expertise. A bit like in the rugby pitch, everyone passes and kicks. And and then you have your specialists who do specific jobs, jumping the line out, hook. Shit house in Joe's case. Yeah. I'm very proud of that, yeah. actually. So Chris, you've come to the studio uh, dressed in a nice grey polo shirt, the classic jean if you were walking into surgery, how would we see you then? Kind of, it's a bit like suiting up for battle. Um, so you, you do surgery in chain mail. At <laughs> <laughs> a sword. It feels like it sometimes. Okay. So we wear our scrubs, supplied by the hospital, and special shoes we wear in just theatre, so we don't wear them outside. And they're just like sort of surgical clogs. Some of them look like crocs. Clogs? Yeah. yeah. Why clogs? Basically, laces get blood in them and harder to clean. So I just I wear leather clogs. Everyone wears a bit different stuff, but yeah, you don't want to be stood there like. Hang on a minute, like I just got to tie my laces before yeah. you. I sew up on. your artery. Slip on, bro. Sometimes I wear my wellies, my white wellies. If there's well, a lot of blood, really bloody. Yeah, or if we're washing a lot of stuff out and you know it's going to get on the floor, you want to keep your socks dry. What do you mean washing stuff out? Oh, so if someone's got an infection or they've got a wound that's full of mud or whatever it is and you're going to rinse it through with loads and loads of flush like to clean it out and it's always going to end up on the floor and you, you don't want to have to throw your socks away or go in wet socks put a waders on just before I do <laughs> that's not that's not the site you want to I hope the patient's under at that time where you, you turn to look at the, your surgeon you're like he's putting his waders on like hang on a minute and then the gloves going all the way up to his shoulders like ridiculous so we've got our scrubs and our, our shoes on and then um 
for the trauma operations with bones, we do it under x-ray in the operating theatre so we can see what we're, we're fixing, make sure it's, it's gone back to the shape it should be and we put our screws and plates in the right place so we wear a lead gown. So it's basically like a, a lead, lead apron. Gown. Yeah, You know what your dinner ladies used to wear? Those like tabard things that mm. go over the front and back, a bit mm. like that, but made of lead. Mm. So I think, I think you have to say dinner persons now. Oh, apologies. <laughs> <laughs> So a dinner person's tabard made a lot. <laughs> Excuse it, fair play, yeah. yeah. Um, which doesn't breathe. So that's nice and sweaty, and it oh. weighs a ton. And then a similar thing around your neck to protect your thyroid from the x-rays. Then you wear your mask, which I'm sure everyone's pretty used to now, with a little visor on it or goggles and a hat. And then over the top of that, we wear our surgical gowns, which are effectively waterproof gowns. They're not quite as bad as like wearing a rain mac, but, and then our gloves. Oh, and my God. And then you stand there under the operating lights. So it's a bit like being at a tanning salon. They're trying to cook you. Um, so it's kind of, there's quite a lot of stuff. And it, it, yeah, after a while, it can get pretty hot. So we're always trying to get them to turn their temperature in theatres down. And everybody else who isn't stood under the lights in all the lead and under all the bits wants the temperature up. And actually for the patients, it's pretty good to keep them warm because that's really important. So we use specific, specific things to warm the patients like warming blankets or like a hot air blanket that goes over the top of them nice. when you're standing next to that so it gets yeah it can get pretty unpleasant forgive me but I'm just picturing your undercarriage <laughs> <laughs> at that point like and the collection that you're getting there you must be sweating your absolute balls off it's it's pretty toasty and definitely after big cases you come out you take your lead gown off and your scrub top is just saturated it's pretty horrible what's uh what's this like average time that you do a surgery in i mean it varies i mean some of our surgeries can be half an hour or so and some of them six seven hours is six seven hours the longest that you've done probably i don't know exactly but certainly six and a half seven is probably about the longest but it's pretty much sort of all day no breaks no breaks. no food no food no drinks no drinks no toilet breaks no shits no no blades no bowls leave your weapons here yeah i mean the good thing about sweating all that water out is actually you usually don't need a wee do you have a massive meal beforehand you try and have something what if you do actually need the toilet though could you just go there i mean you could but if you had to you could arrange a point where you could sort of down tools, nip out, go for a wee, have a glass of water, re-scrub and come back in. And it's not just one surgeon. There's always other assistants there. And as long as nothing bad happens in that point, you know, in terms of major bleeding, which you should know about beforehand, that's actually okay. And there are some specialties out there that, that will do, you know, 24-hour operations and have surgeons on rotation and go out for a break and things. What could you possibly be operating on? That requires 24 hours of work. Some spinal stuff. So one of my friends is a spinal surgeon. He's operated on some tumours in a back and they've gone out over two operations. They've done over 36 hours of work. You know, they've gone all day, all night and then into the next morning because you're dissecting out sort of cancer um, around the spinal cord and the nerves and all the blood vessels. So you just, you've just got to pick your way through really slowly. And certainly some of the plastic surgeons and the maxillofacial surgeons who operate on the face, if they have doing big resections, used often for cancer or other things, and they're having to move tissue from one place on the body to another, and then they have to reattach maybe the, all the blood vessels and the nerves. So they have to take it from one place and then move it to the other place after they've taken all the stuff out. So they're out there, those huge surgeons. I mean, that... Fucking hell. Well, as we're hearing these stories, Joe, are you wondering how you would be as a surgeon? Because I am. Could you do seven hours of that shit? Could I do a seven-hour shit? <laughs> I know you could do a seven-hour shit. <laughs> what did you say? Can if I... you were in surgery for seven hours, yeah. could you get through that entire period with that shit? No. no. To be honest, Tom, I think I'd really struggle. 
I think I'd really struggle trying to connect stuff to stuff. You're you know? good at breaking stuff. Yeah, but like trying to get, when you you said about connecting blood vessels. Yeah, they'll some, aren't blood vessels like some of them are tiny. tiny. Yeah, so I don't do that. Like that's a bit skillful for me. I'm I'm better with a saw and a hammer and some screwdrivers. <laughs> but but the plastic surgeons and the the microvascular surgeons they're using microscopes and they're using needles and threads that you can't even see. So I have a huge amount of respect for that. And it's it's a level of patience. I don't have. I can't sit still. For so that they're long. using tiny needle and threads, minutiae. Yeah. What does that mean? It's the wrong word, but carry on. Minute. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> so they're using tiny mini newts, and <laughs> they're doing all the work for them. What are your tools of choice? Like, what are your go-to? Because you joked about a hammer and a saw. Oh, they're bog standard kit. What? Yeah. What? Well, when you say a hammer, I'm a metal mallet, solid metal mallet. What sort of thing are you doing with a metal mallet? So all sorts. So sometimes, so some of the, my retractors have got a point on the end of them. I put them into the bone and knock them in to go through the bone so I can retract the soft tissues. If you're fixing a, say, like a long bone, like a femur, which is the thigh bone, or the tibia, which is your shin bone, sometimes we'll put a rod all the way down the middle because the bones are sort of hollow. So oh, that, fuck me, dead. So you make a hole, you get in at the top, you put a guide wire down it, which yeah. is a, looks a bit oh. like long straight coat hanger. Nah. And then the the nail is hollow, so it's like a hollow metal tube, usually about anywhere between a centimetre in diameter up to about 15 millimetres in diameter, one and a half centimetres, and you knock it down. And you knock that down with a hammer. So we're always using hammers. Like, Look how nonchalant it is. Yeah, you knock it down with a hammer. Like, fuck. You're knocking a fucking metal rod down some, <laughs> down some poor fucker's fib. Yeah. What, what, my t- a teammate of mine, actually, recently, he snapped his tib fib or whatever, and he's got one it's of got those rod, rods. Yeah down his is it shin bone but i couldn't work it out and he wasn't able to answer answer me either so maybe an expert will be able to help me where's all the bone marrow go then so the bone marrow are we allowed to talk about products cadbury's crunchy and chocolate bar more than fine oh fuck yeah yeah so the more the better okay so your bone is a bit like a cadbury's crunchy the chocolate around the outside is the hard bit of the bone yeah and then the honeycomb on the inside is like the bone marrow down the inside Mm. so it's it is pretty crunchy and soft if your bones were solid you'd weigh an absolute ton so the best place to have Maybe that your bone are, is on the outside. Right. So a bit like bamboo, hollow down the middle. So in older patients, that really is not very dense, and you can usually just put the rod straight down. In younger patients, to get make sure it's big enough, we basically have uh, a drill that go up in different sizes. We put our, over our carboy and we drill all the way down. So the drill's, I don't know, 50 centimetres long. So you put that all the way down, and it looks centimeters. like a sort of pretty aggressive corkscrewy drill thing and it's called reaming so we ream out the uh it's called reaming <laughs> <Look at> your... <laughs> it's called it's called reaming he's described it as one of the most fucking brutal torture techniques and then just gone yeah it's called reaming i mean luckily they're asleep so we, we don't get pulled up for torture ever had anyone wake mm. up uh i have oh. <gasps> so when i was quite a junior doctor i was assisting a colleague with an operation and it was a patient who was having a an operation on their tummy and they had a general anesthetic and it was like a hernia so that's where the the layers underneath aren't joined together and stuff sort of poking out a bit so we'd gone in i like the medical up. terminology revenue yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> tummy. Uh, so i'm an orthopedic surgeon we're, we're not the brightest no he's, so. he's definitely read our audience that you know yeah. very and similar to ourselves so layman as possible yeah. please. so you go down and you find those two bits that aren't aren't joined together and you basically stitch them up and that's it and we were halfway through and suddenly at the side of the drape so when you do an operation you 
enclose the bit you want to operate on and everything else is covered up with sterile drapes and they have sticky edges that you stick down and then and then suddenly there was this rustling under the drape and this hand appeared at the side oh. and the patient basically got swallowed a hand. a hand no no she got oh. a hand up the side of the drapes and was sort of coming up into our surgical field and was because you know we were guddling around in our tummy so that was not ideal um <laughs> So the patient has a level of consciousness there to do it, but is not conscious. And, and can't feel. And can't feel. No. There would have been an awareness of it, but she had no, no recollection. So they increased her anesthesia, and she went back to sleep. When she woke up, she never had any recollection of it, and that's the only time I've ever seen it. How do you know? Because I imagine you didn't want her to have a recollection of it, so you couldn't say, do you remember when you came out of your anesthesia? What's it called? Anesthetic. anesthetic. Yeah. Do you remember when you came out of your anesthetic and tried to stop our operation with your hand? You don't want to say that in case she goes, "No, but is that what happened?" No. So you're you're kind of tactful, um, but it's really important, actually, as any kind of doctor, that we have this relationship with our patients and we're really honest. So you you go and have a conversation with them afterwards and say, "Look, during the operation, your anesthetic lightened a bit." You may have had some awareness of what was going on, but we gave you some more medication as soon as we realised that, and hopefully, and she was like, "Yeah, no, I didn't get any of it." But you know, that's it. and can I just reassure everyone? It's extremely <laughs> rare. In the thirteen years that I've been a like a doctor, I've seen it once, and that I haven't heard of it apart from that. Because I know some people are, are pretty twitchy about having an anaesthetic and surgery. It is incredibly safe and very reliable, and I'll. Our patients, even the most anxious ones beforehand, usually afterwards go, that was no win, you know, it was absolutely fine. That's slightly more reassuring than the last operation I had and the surgeon I said, no, the anaesthetist came and and talked to me and I was shitting myself about not waking up and or waking up mid Mm. mid surgery. I said, what the, give me the odds on me not waking up. And he was like, I don't know, mate, like a few million to one, you don't wake up. I was like... Okay, I'll take them. I said, what about if I wake up during it? He went, oh, 250,000 to one. I went, they're not good odds. <laughs> That's not good. So he was like, well, what do you want me to say? I went, fucking more. I wouldn't have known, would I? Just say like a billion to one, you dick. Instead, you've actually given me the truth. And he was like, okay, are we going to go for it? I was like, yeah, might as well. I need to take it back a bit. Yeah. You've talked a lot, a lot about complicated surgeries using uncomplicated tools. But where did it start? Like, how did you get to learn that? Because I'm, I'm guessing as a surgeon, you've got to spend a shitload of time learning how to knock crunchies out of people's tibias. <laughs> yeah. Usually the, the path is they start letting you close the wounds at the end. So they've done the operation, they let you close, which I always think is a bit ironic because that's the only bit the patient sees. Like, they never see the bit on the inside, like how, what good job someone's done. What they see is the scar. And that's what everyone goes and shows each other, isn't it? Oh, look at my scar surgeon, how big it is, how bad it is, whatever it is. It's because some bloke who's never done it before has walked in at, at a pop. <laughs> yeah. So Just you, tie that up, will you? Usually you start suturing when you're in A&E. You know, there are, there are patients that are more amenable to start practising on. Yeah. Um, I can't say who those are, but, you know, if you go to an A&E on a Friday night right. or early Saturday morning... Basically, people are a bit smashed up. Yeah, and maybe a bit tipsy. Yeah. Um, and then, so you do that. And people, have, you go on courses and you get taught how to do it, you know, there's and there's practice. You can practice stitching up on, like, uh, synthetic mats. You can, you can do it on a banana skin or old pi- mm. or pig skin from that the butchers. That was going to be my thing. Like, how do you practice... So when people have CT scans, that data is collected, and some of the big companies have basically built a model of a an average human 
and then they they make bones out of plastic um, for you to practice on. So you mm. can saw them up and you can screw them back together and you can, if we get new kit, so we have, a, you know, there's some new implant or something like that, you can practice on there first. And you can actually, you can also practice on cadavers, which are... Dead bodies. So these are dead bodies who've had their bodies donated that, to Yeah, science. but I thought that was gone like... I thought cadavers were like back in the body-snatching days, you know, in the Victorian days, no? Birkenau, that yeah. still happens, does it? Yeah. So most medical schools will have cadavers and... Are they the still got their faces on them? Yeah. Oh, mate. Yeah. What, what if you, you recognise someone? What do you mean, recognise someone? This might be Dave from down the road. <laughs> oh, there's Scale Steve, is yeah. it? Um, Fucking hell, let's, not, uh, let's hope that Scale Steve yeah. is all right. Actually. So they're Text all yeah. people who've chosen before they passed away to donate their body to medical science. We don't just sort of crack on. We don't invent a new operation and just go, oh, you know, I'll try it on Monday. Um, <laughs> Boys, I've had this really good idea. I didn't, involves... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect that you'd just crack on with it, but I still didn't, I didn't know yeah. that you... You still practice yeah. on dead bodies and yeah. stuff. Plastic bones, dead bodies. Why Why wouldn't you if someone's donated it? Yeah. Have you donated yours? Would you donate your body, Joe? To what? To medical science. What for? I, wasn't, I didn't mean like the RFU Museum or Twickenham. <laughs> what, what, specifically what for? Like, I don't think you get a choice, Chris. It's not a lot you can do about it, is it? If, <laughs> if go, you say, no, you can't have my eyes, and then they take your eyes out at the end of it. You're not exactly going to go, fucking hell, mate, you've nicked my eyes. Oh, yeah. Which is your best, if you had to um, donate one part of your body, Joe, which, which bit are you proudest of? Lungs are bad. Uh, heart, really fatty. Brain, no. Oh, God, <laughs> Christ, that could be, like, all sorts. I've got really good eyes. Like, I've, I've always backed strong eyes. Like, I can yeah. see things. Eyes are really important. Yeah. So they'll use those. So they'll use um, transplants for people who have eye issues, and they can help. And if you're nice and young, which... You are. Thank you. That's um, nice, place. healthy tissue. Yeah. I'm just trying to... My sense of smell. Can I donate that? Yeah, probably not. What no. about my nose? If I give someone my nose, they've got my smell. There are patients who have facial transplants, so they've, they've transplanted a whole face. There's a few of those. Imagine getting your room. nose when you work. Woke- <laughs> 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 I'm really shit out here. Yeah, like, what have I got here? Fucking hell! <laughs> I'm really grateful for saving my life, but what the fuck's out of my face? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Poor they might not be that lucky because your face is pretty dictated by your bone structure underneath. So if they didn't have your bone structure, they wouldn't have your quality nose. So yeah, oh, it might go all wrong. He's, he's, <laughs> oh, he's fluffing me up now. Right, we got to have some ads because I need to go and find out where I can donate my entire body by my nose because no one's going to want it. So we'll go for a break. Shrink the Box is back for a brand new season. This is the podcast where we put our favourite fictional TV characters into therapy. Join me, Ben Bailey-Smith, and our brand new psychotherapist, Namon Metaxas. Hi, Ben. Yes, this season we're going to be putting the likes of Tommy from Peaky Blinders, Cersei from Game of Thrones on the couch to learn why their behaviour creates so much drama. So make sure you press the follow button to get new episodes as soon as they land on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Shrink the Box is a Sony Music Entertainment original podcast. This episode is sponsored by The Unsorted One Nicky Butterworth What? What is it good for? Absolutely nothing Ben Wharton Million Dollar Bailey It's Grant Bailey Patcher if you can Charlotte Patch Alexander the Great Picuza The Awesome Orson Stadler Nibble Nibble Stuart Kibble And not all of the Welsh But definitely William Welsh 
you'd like to become an official sponsor and find out about live shows before anyone else, go to patreon.com forward slash Joe Show and grow the show today. Those were the adverts, and if you would like Joe Marler's nose in the event of an unfortunate accident, just get in touch on all the usual social media why are you, places. Why are you auctioning off my nose? <laughs> I think it'd be amazing if your nose lived on. I'm still alive. Why does my <laughs> nose still need to live on? I'm all right now. Would you swap your nose if you could? Yeah. Whose nose would you have? My old nose. Oh. Like, not, like look, look at me this side. Yeah. This is my left side for people listening is that your good side yeah look okay. how so good's that glad we clarify that question <laughs> <laughs> how good's that look it's all right it's good all right it's a six out of ten okay yeah now look i prefer the right side fuck off Chris. mate it like it's been knocked out that way it's at least two inches bigger the, look at the gap between my eye and my nose there and then the gap between my eye and my nose there chris could you get to work on that do you think yeah. i've got some hammers and saws but Super. noses aren't really my job so i would have a i'd have a go have a crack yeah no, uh, thanks for the offer, but like this is this isn't like a setup where you're just going to knock my nose off or knock it out and then auction it off to people. I'm not having it. You, you're you're like the this hip specialist that I went to go see once. Well, I I got a labral tear in my my yep. hip years back. Squatting so heavy, you know, it's just mm. oh, kept getting jarred in or whatever. He was like, "Hello, Miss Marley, how are you?" And my physio at the time came with me, so we've driven up to Coventry or where, wherever it was. And, uh, hello, Mr. Man, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah, good, thank you. Enough of the small talk, yeah. He was like, right, that's okay, stand up, um, just take your, take your shorts down. And I went, yeah, so I took my shorts down. He said, you know, and your, and your, and your pants. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm looking at Rich, the physio, I'm like, well, what the, where the fuck have you brought me in? <laughs> and, um, so he sat next to me on my right, uh, my physio, uh, at sort of hip height, and then the specialist comes over and he's like, oh, just, just starts warming his hands up. I'm like, what's going on here? Definitely a surgeon. Fucking, yeah. well, I don't know, mate. I was young, impressionable, you know, just crack on. Um, anyway, he's like, right, I might feel a bit uncomfortable here, but... And then he stuck his fingers <laughs> inside my scrotum. What? Like, you, you know, like, okay. at the front of your, what's this, pubic bone. Yeah. You know, like, going up there. And I'm like, fucking hell. There's a bit more prep to, to it than that, but that's, you know, how it felt. And he was like, right, cough, trying to feel in there. And I was like, what is going on here, mate? Like, how you're never going to get anywhere near my hip through that, mate. Like, what <laughs> are you doing? And the physio next to me, he's just like, yeah, yeah, as if this is normal. And then he turns and looked to the specialist after he's finished. He said, do you mind if I uh, just have, have what? a go? That? <laughs> and I've gone... What, why are you asking him? It's not his nutsack. <laughs> why, can you ask me? And he was like, I just presume you'd be all right with it. And I was like, well, go on then. You're here. You might as well crack on. So he's had a go. And that's some sort of test. Is it a specific test or something? It's called? So it sounds like they were looking for potentially a hernia. Right. So you can get part of your abdominal cavity come down the track to your 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 balls, your testes yeah. descend from because yeah. they start in your tummy when you're a ba- when you when you're in the they start up and they drop down and there's a tube that follows them down and you can get stuff that can come down into there and you can get like some of your abdominal contents in your scrotum 
and that can give you groin pain. So I suspect as part of the workup to see where your pain was coming from, is it the hip, have you got a hernia? So they were trying to rule that out, were they? They were trying to rule that out, That yeah. was a fucking funny way of ruling it out. Well, they were trying to use as a human glove puppet. <laughs> For fuck's sake, and I was just like, oh my God, be, be careful of them, they're precious to me, they've, they've not produced anything yet. Um, have you ever had any issues with, with nuts in terms of... <laughs> have you ever, are you allergic to nuts? Have, <laughs> You're a hip specialist, yeah. so the nuts tend to be quite close to the hip. Have you yeah. ever had any <laughs> so, I'm glad I'm not being operated on by you. Yeah. So, I mean, and they are. So with the hip, we tend to go in from the side and comfortably away from giblets. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in terms of the pelvic operations we do, one of the common surgical approaches we do is, is just kind of above... At the bottom of your tummy, basically, we make a cut. It's the same scar that women get if they have a cesarean section. So it's sort of right at the top of your waistband of your boxers. That's where it is. goes across, and we go in there onto the pubic bone, which we just talked about. And normally, everything in a man is in front of that and well out of the way. And I try and keep away from that because it's a bit soft and squidgy and doesn't like hammers and sores. <laughs> there is one case I can remember where we're operating on where the pubic bone at the middle have basically been ripped apart so it's, it's, it's two halves your pelvis is effectively the bottom of your back that's fused together and then two bones on either side that join at the front and that kind of right at the front where you'd point to is where they join that's a soft tissue joint and if you have enough energy you can rip that off and you just tear it apart and then your pelvis opens up like a book so, very bad book and when you get in there... He's described it as a book. And that's what we call it, call an open book yeah, pelvis. Yeah. And when you get in there, the two sides of the the pelvis can be quite a long way apart. Like, I mean, I've got reasonably big hands. I can usually get a fist in there. <laughs> you know, so you're talking 10, 12 centimetres apart from where what? they should be. And the problem with that is, is then everything that's in front of that has an opportunity to kind of fall back into that that space uh, and there was one case where we found something that we don't normally find in there and i know my bit i know the the bits i operate on i know what the bits in there look like and this was i was just a bit like this is doesn't look like something we normally come across <laughs> and we were like oh this gentleman's testicle had basically fallen back from the front of his pelvis into the pelvis behind you don't shut it, no. No, no, no. I kept on pushing it out of the way. Oh. Every time it fell back, I, I basically tried to ignore it. I kept on pushing it out of the way. And then when we'd done <laughs> our operation, uh, the urological surgeon, so the urologist came in and had a look at it. And actually, this guy was quite unlucky in that we knew beforehand one of his testicles had been crushed. And Oh, fuck off! <laughs> Fuck you! And they were... Leave! <laughs> you fucking get out of here now! That is fucking... You are a fucking horrible person. Oh, my God. <laughs> Do that. Picture that. Just for a second. Picture that. Feel it. Yeah, you pull your fucking ball and socket joint out. Your nut goes back in and bosh. Pfft, gone. Yeah. Squashed. So he, Bad. He'd squashed his between the lorry and the motorbike and himself, basically, oh. when he'd had his accident. So they were going to take one out. And I assumed that the one they were going to take out was the one that I kept on seeing falling back out. So I was careful with it. But the I bad wasn't. one. Yeah. And anyway, it turned out the bad one was on the other side, and that was a good one that he kept. So. Was it operational? As far as I know, yeah. So I've left that very much with them. They're the experts. They, you don't need me filling with that. Um, but yeah, so you, you, can, you just have to, you know, you have to sort of think on your feet sometimes and just sort of be prepared that it's not going to go how you expect it to go all the time. That's so. What is the single weirdest accident you've ever seen? 
saw a, a guy once put a chainsaw into his foot and was cutting some logs put into it and he'd actually got away with it apart from he'd basically taken a beautiful slice out the, the inside of his foot oh. and the x-ray just showed this lovely slice halfway through one of the bones didn't go all the way through lovely slice just clean you know it was like it was like someone had drawn it on like a square cut all the way through and hang on oh. all the way through and then actually it wasn't can't really fix it the bit of bone that was in that slot was gone we just have to kind of let him heal up so we cleaned it out and did it grow back yeah, over time the bone. So your bone's always growing. You're always putting down new bone, and you're always dissolving some of the bone you've got, and that's how you heal your bones. That doesn't make sense. My hands have been this big for a number of years now. That's because it's taken away the same amount of bone as it's putting down. So they're not growing anymore, but just literally taking away some of the bone and putting replacing it with new bone. Are you saying that if I chop off my finger, it'll grow back? No. <laughs> <laughs> so the, we could try it. For the, for science, yeah, for science, yeah. medical. Someone, someone can have it with your nose. Now, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> with the nose chat, I, you say you're always growing. Apparently, in men, do your ears and nose always keep growing? I'd look at the medical expert rather than me. Here, yeah, so. sorry. <laughs> because if you look I've at old men, that. I wouldn't. I all wouldn't. their noses are big, and all their ears are big. I've heard that. I wouldn't step in with a medical opinion on that because I'm not sure. So I would be disingenuous for me to say so. But you know, they do look. Pretty they do, they, they do. I'm so fucked. Bigger. And fucked. anecdotally, so do scrotums. Hmm. Is it a looseness bigger. of skin that we're looking at there, I wonder? That the elasticity of the earlobe and the, and the scrotum is degenerating not, over I mean, time. I'd, I'd be speculating. So I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm probably a bit out of my depth here, I'm afraid. I just always thought the stereotype of a surgeon tends to be a bit of a cock. Yeah. You know, like chest out, I'm the fucking... Dogs bollocks here, you you know peasants, poor little bloody hell. You hold that because I'm I'm the one that gets paid the most. I'm the most important. I've I know the most about it all. Is that stereotype fair? You've kind of already answered that by um, the way you've come in, and I, I would say yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd like to think no. There's definitely a stereotype out there, and. As people go through med school, there's stereotypes about the different branches of medicine. And surgeons are that chest out, peacocking, macho, tough environment. And orthopaedic surgery has a real rep of blokes. And it's usually you play med school rugby, you're going to be an orthopaedic surgeon. That's, <laughs> that's it. You know, you're big, you're strong. And I don't think it's true. We've got a lot of female surgeons and female trainees who are excellent. And in terms of sort of general personality, actually, you need to be quite conscientious, quite logical, quite clinical. And a good team player because it's massively a team sport. You know, I can't do my bit if everybody else doesn't do this because I can't do their bit. And you definitely don't want me putting you to sleep and trying to wake you up. Um, That's really complicated and they're much brighter than I am. And I can't get all the kit out. And, you know, if I'm standing there holding you instruments, I'll get bored and distracted. You'd be really cross at me. So... I, I rely on those. You know, I'm. it's like the goal kicker in rugby. You know, he's only there kicking penalties because of the field position because of everybody else, you know. But it's that, that in the limelight moment of glory. And it's not quite like that. We, I don't think that we have that limelight. But we're a figurehead. And, you know, it's your name above the bed when you're looking after the patient. So it does sort of come back to you. And if things go wrong, you, you have to take responsibility. So That's really... I always thought they'd put the patient's name above the bed so you know who the patient <laughs> was. But I guess it's like pubs, isn't it? You know, they put oh, the landlord on yeah. it. No, it's not. That's not the same at all. Now that, uh, now that yeah. I've said it back in my head, that's really not the same. And we should definitely have that edited out because Steve <laughs> is going to be really kind to me and you're going to do that, aren't you, Steve? Thank you, Steve. 
Are you freaked out, Joe, when you've had your surgeries by the fact that often when you wake up, there will be an arrow in permanent marker drawn on your skin pointing to the correct <laughs> I did. I, I, did, I did have that when I went in for surgery on um, Morel Lavelli. So Morel Lavelli lesions where the top layer of skin and fat gets sheared so it gets moved sideways without an open wound but all the blood vessels that supply it from underneath are disrupted so effectively a whole big area doesn't then have a blood supply and it, it dies off i was disappointing the fat word used oh sorry fine well everyone that. has some fat yeah, yeah. that's healthy well played these really, really yeah, brought it back thanks so i'd gone down on the thursday or something in training mm-hmm. and <laughs> hit it on the floor like just a really innocuous and where it was described, it clearly sheared the top layer off and the bottom layer was there. And then it just filled with fluid, blood, whatever else yeah. there is in there. And it was fucking massive. I don't usually swell, believe it or not. I've That's without swelling. <laughs> Poor old Daisy. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> fucking two ridiculous answers and I'm not having it. I'm trying to be professional and staying on point and you, you're dragging it down and now I'm the apologize. fucking guest is dragging it down. <laughs> This is not on. <laughs> anyway, I don't usually swell that much. So I'm usually quite dry. And uh, my knee was massive. So I went down the bottom and said, look, what's, what's going on there then? They're like, oh, I haven't seen that before. Where is it? And it was just on the, above my knee, just on the outside of my thigh. They're like prodding it around. I went, can you stop fucking prodding? They're like, does it hurt? I was like, not really. They were like, oh, that's weird. Whoa, what is that? And... You go and Google it. I was like, that's always promising. Mm. You know, the people you rely on the most, they're Googling it. Yeah, cool. Yeah, <laughs> no, it might be that. It might be that. Not sure. Well, can you pick one? And then we, <laughs> <laughs> so we went with that one and we had a game on the Saturday and uh, they were hoping that if they, if it's, if it's a small one, if you wrap it really tight over time without too much disruption, it will stick back down itself yeah. and heal itself. Unfortunately, this was quite a big one. It didn't. And... <laughs> It just, like, the, I remember looking, I think I've got pictures on my, the whole of my leg was black and blue where the swelling had spread um, from this big thing. And they're like, sorry, mate, it's wicked. They tried draining it a couple of times, the amount of shit that came out of it. And they said, no, you're going to have to have an operation. And I was like, oh, my God. And that, when I went up for it, the guy was, Mark came in, the surgeon explained it all to me, and then he was, Marking down my leg and pointing to it. Well, what are you doing that for? Surely you know that it's it's my left leg. He said, "Well, when you get in there, sometimes you know it can be a bit confusing." I said, "Oh yeah, because that's happened, has it? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. you've co- got confused and you've done the other." Le-. He's like, "Yes, it has happened." I went with you. He went, "No, no, no, not with me. It does happen though." So we're just making sure. That, are you, you're not building confidence here. <laughs> Was it with you? Does that's happened? Is yeah, it? Yeah, it happens. I've I've never seen it. So we're really, that's what they all say. Okay, so we're really rigorous. Someone's got to have seen it, and this is why. So when if you come in for an operation, I say, Joe, what are we doing today? We're operating on your left knee, and I'll check that you think it's the left knee. I'll check that the letters we've seen in clinic are the left knee, and the X-rays are the left knee, and I'll mark it with you awake to make sure it doesn't happen. But it has happened. I mean, there are stories out there where. Patients have had like the wrong-sided kidney removed and all oh. sorts of bits. I mean, it, and it's if that that's happens, quite big. that's catastrophic. It's quite, yeah, that's yeah, quite yeah, big. Yeah. I mean, if I did something on the wrong side, I'd get in a lot of trouble. So, you know, there's a lot of paperwork and it's really not very good for the patient. So we're really meticulous and it's a, a really big thing. To, so you to say, sure. for example, let's say you talk to Jay, you go and you say it's the left knee. Joe goes, yeah, it's my left knee. And then you go, 
your left or my left. <laughs> <laughs> I just get him to point to it. Yeah, yeah. This one. I'll put my hand on it. Say this one. Yeah. We're all good. There's a, as a trainee surgeon, there's a point where as a junior doctor, you have your stethoscopes, you're going around, you're listening to chests and hearts, making sure everything's all right, people are still alive, da, 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 da. And there's a point where as a surgical trainee, you're doing that less and less because there's juniors below you now who are doing that and you kind of step up and you swap out your stethoscope for a permanent marker. And then, <laughs> then you know, you're on, on your right track because um, you're there, you're, you're marking the patients for the bosses in the morning and, and going around just making sure all the consent's okay. Nice. Let's say, Chris, I continue to make unpleasant little digs at Joe and Joe responds by plucking one of those biros from the desk in front of us, plunging it into my leg. In yeah. fury. Yeah, yeah. Why um, would I go for your leg? Because it's, it's closest to you. And you don't want to kill me. You're just, you're just angry. You're just going to leg me. <laughs> okay. Would you go higher? I'd go for a lung. Would you? Yeah. <laughs> I'd puncture one of your lungs. So Joe has punctured one of my lungs, Chris. Presumably on the basis I've made a very small dig about his weight. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm wearing all black. You do look slimmer today. Thanks. There you go. Well rescued. Yeah. Carry on. Am I best off pulling this biro out of my left lung or leaving it in there? As a generality, leave it in. You don't know what it's hit. You don't know what it's through. You know, if you've gone through and it's gone into your lung, that pen might be sealing up the hole. You pull it out and suddenly lungs, the way they work is actually they can suck air in from the outside on the outside of the lung, so it doesn't go into the lung, and it causes the lung to contract and get smaller and smaller. And obviously your lung gets smaller, it's not doing anything useful. And it can actually inflate one side of the chest outside the lung so much it squashes the other side. Wow, what? Yeah. So that's <laughs> exactly that's a surgical emergency. Swell over the lung. You bastard. Yeah. yeah. But don't worry, because there's also another biro, and I've seen it before, <laughs> that if you were struggling with that, so that one biro's in your right, your left lung, your left, my right. Yeah. <laughs> get, get the marker out. Uh, I'd get the other biro, and I'd just jab that straight in your tracheot- tracheo. Yes, the trachea is your windpipe. Your trachea, and perform a tracheotomy. Thanks. On you, so that you could breathe. Because yeah, you've already ruined one lung. Yeah, because your tongue, your, your, your lung is bad, and your tongue started to swell. <laughs> Because you poisoned me, I've poisoned yeah. you with uh, that armor cross on you gave me earlier, <laughs> which actually had you know that cream in it, yeah, which was lovely, yeah, was an arsenic, <laughs> and that the first uh, sign of arsenic poisoning is a swollen tongue. <laughs> but I'm doing that so that I can perform a tracheotomy and show off to Chris how good I am at doing surgeries with biros. Yeah. You don't need saws, you don't need metal hammers. I can just do it with biros. So uh, yeah, actually. <laughs> I, so I, yeah, what a response! You're, you're, yeah. Not, you're not far off. So, oh. actually, so actually, so if Tom couldn't breathe because his his tongue was swollen, he, he didn't. Actually, if you make a, a hole in the front of the neck and go into the larynx, you allow air in, and so he would breathe. The problem is that the biro on his left side is trouble that, that's causing his lung to collapse. What you need to do is let the air out of the outside. So, and there are stories about people. You basically make a hole in the chest wall and you make it big enough so that the air can flow in and out freely. Because the problem with the, what we call a tension pneumothorax, the air goes in and can't get back out. How many holes are there in at this point? Three. So we're making a third, yeah. Oh, in the back, though. In the back. Well, no, go- at the front. Oh, yeah. both in the you front. You leave my back yeah. alone. <laughs> and actually, you know, without anything else, you know, we could put a hollow biro down that and let the air out. I've actually then, got... Um, like as a tube. And the people have done that on aeroplanes, so that's one of those things. You, medical emergencies on aeroplanes, that's one of the things you can do. You can, you know... Yeah. You could save people with biros. If I responded to Joe smashing three different holes into me, <laughs> Chris, by shooting him... <laughs> yeah. Would the same apply? Would Joe be best off leaving the bullet? Where am I going to shoot you? I'm going to aim for his nose so I don't miss. Fucking <laughs> hell. This is a nose of steel. 
if I've lodged a bullet in his nose, yeah. is he best off pulling the bullet in his nose out before he arrives in trauma or leaving it in? Yeah, I mean, the chances are it's not going to be accessible. So if you get shot with a bullet, it's either going to go all the way through you, mm. in which case it's out, or it's going to get stuck somewhere because it's lost all its energy as it's gone through, whatever it's gone through, and it's, and it's stuck there. So you then need to work out where it is. So we'll put people through a scanner, work out where it is and what it's uh, and the big thing is it's not just where it is what's it gone through uh, how's it you know what's it potentially damaged on the way there so you would need an operation likely to explore that and make sure so if it's in your tummy or your abdomen your lungs you want to make sure it hasn't gone through blood vessels or your or your intestines because if you've got a hole through your intestines you're gonna get an infection so if you shot him in the nose and it was lodged there we could probably just put it out i think we'd be all right but if you shot him somewhere else and it was lodged in We'd need to know where it was and go in in a way that we could repair anything that was damaged. I think I could be a surgeon. Go on then. Because that nose chat has just dawned on me what happened to me a couple of weeks ago. Felix, my second youngest, my youngest boy, so he's two, he came running into me. Not like he didn't run into me. He came running into the room that I was in. Okay. Yeah. And he was crying. He was like, ah! I was like, what's the matter? And he was just kept like pointing his nose. Ah! I've got daddy's I nose. Like, what's, what's <laughs> <in the mirror? laughs> Fuck. Teed you up for that one. <laughs> and then he kept going, he kept, Lego, Lego. And I was like, oh, fucking hell, he's put Lego up his nose. What the fuck? So then I pushed his nose back and looked like, like a pig. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, he must have got it stuck, and then he shot it out, and now it was hurting because there was nothing up there. And I was like, "It's all right, mate. It's all right, mate. It's all right. Don't worry about that." And then, like after ten minutes, he's still like going, like, "No, Lego, Lego." I was like, "Fucking hell!" I know it hurts, mate, but like, <laughs> come on, like, okay, I'm, I'm cuddling. And then I looked again and got the phone torch, and I was like, "Oh no, <laughs> there is. There's a little square, you know, the small little the single piece, the single yeah. piece he'd put up there." And I was like, "Oh God." <laughs> but it was a combination of panic and pleasure because I was like, it's my moment. It's my moment. I'm this not is... taking him to hospital. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sort this. And Daisy's like, oh, God, what's he's got? It's panic. Like, she goes into a bit of a panic mode. No, what, what, what we can do? What we can do? Like, Don't worry. Where's the tweezers? Get the tweezers. Go get the tweezers. Don't worry. I'll, I'll prepare him. Get, get, get <laughs> Did the you mark him? Get the, get the tape. <laughs> it's this nostril. Get the... <laughs> Laid, laid him down on the table. Calm down, it's calm. We didn't anaesthetise him. You've done well, because two-year-olds are notoriously wiggly. Oh, my God. And I was like, come on, mate, it's fine. Like And I thought it was this, luckily it was a red piece. It was right in there. And the satisfaction of putting these tweezers up his nose, and how, fair play to him, I will commend him, he doesn't listen. But Was it the knobble facing you or the bottom facing you? Like, could you grip something with no, your tweezers? No, no, sorry, it was, you know, the very small round piece... You know, you get like little add-ons, like on the, the Lego. lights. Yes, Lego oh, light. different coloured lights. So it was the round piece, the single piece that was up there, and the satisfaction of getting that and pulling it out is just—it was that at that moment I went, I could definitely be a surgeon. You have performed surgery, yeah, practically. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that's that's an operation. Now that's first one in your logbook. So you keep a logbook you of your logbook, yeah. of what's, all the operations you've had. Yeah, what's your best? I mean, one? you've done. What's the what's the one that you've gone? Yeah, I've nailed it. <sighs> Probably some of the really big pelvic cases that are just utterly smashed up in just bits. You know, they've got they're in three or four bits, and oh, no. at the end of it, you've kind of got everything back. 
and it looks like a pelvis, admittedly now adorned with a lot of plates and screws and very shiny, but you kind of got them all back together and, you know, that's the sort of six, seven-hour operation and, and, and you, you look at them and you're like, if that heals up, that'll, that'll do good. So you know the top of your femur? Yeah. The ball and socket bit? Yeah. So, so say we do a hip re- replacement. Yeah. You saw that off, do you? So you saw the top off. How do you, and then you replace it with it? Is it metal? Yeah, a metal. How the fuck are you attaching that metal to a piece of bone and then going? Yeah, that'll be fine. So you go down the inside. So we've got a hollow bones and the hip replacement. The stem goes down the inside and you fit it to the person's bone. So we get special X-rays beforehand and measure how big your bones are, and we look at the different implants we've got and which one's going to fit best. And then you either cement it in. So we have bone cement that is actually acrylic so you know clear plastic it's the same stuff but we get it in two-part form we mix it together and it sets in about 10 minutes and we we cement our implants in or you have an uncemented one which is got a coating on it that the bone grows onto over time and you basically effectively jam it in I mean, you jam it in in the right place at the right height at Do the you right use angle. that phrase with your patients he fucking definitely does <laughs> I, I, I mean i think it's important that people understand what we do so you you know you you judge it person to person but that's effectively what you do you know a controlled precise jamming there you go. in there you go. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then precise. the cup side of it you basically take like a cheese grater that looks like a uh, half a tennis ball and you put it into the socket oh. and you it's on power and it's again we're reaming so you're reaming out the hip joint oh. and you're taking out all the cartilage that's left and all the hard sclerotic bone from the arthritis oh. back to where there's bleeding bone and then again we can either cement uh, with our bone cement a cup in or we can put an uncemented cup in and then we build up the other components so we put an, a liner in which is half of the bearing surface and then a head on top of the, the femur bit that's the other half of our bearing surface and we can change the sizes change the lengths and we've got a few different materials we use so metal plastic and ceramic depending on the patient fucking hell are you, you worried um no i'll be sweet because I won't, I won't, I'm definitely not going to make it to that old. <laughs> I won't be here when it's that old. I'm worried for you because it's a couple of years away. You're yeah, and you're looking, you're looking to live a long and prosperous life. I'm just. <laughs> you said that like a fortune teller. <laughs> <laughs> just get my cards out. You know, here we go. Um, I've got a story here that uh, apparently there was a domestic altercation. So I did some time in South Africa. Uh, in a trauma unit out there, and it's a whole different level. They do it properly out there. Pretty intense. A lot of guns, which we're lucky that we don't really have that in the UK. A lot of stabbings. And I was in the trauma unit, and we'd had some guy come in, and I think he'd had a massive head injury. We'd sort of been working on him for an hour or two, trying to stabilise him. And kind of just at the end of it, we were sort of stable. He was going off to theatre with the operating team, so he was leaving us. We kind of all just had that sort of moment afterwards. We kind of relax and kind of deep breath out and be like, okay. And we turn around and the doorway of the resuscitation room that we're in is a man sitting in a wheelchair with what can only be described as a comedy Mr. Bump bandage around his head (laughs) and a knife sticking out the side of his head. Oh, I'm not laughing now. He had a knife sticking, he had a knife sticking out the side of his head. So he had this huge white bandage all wrapped all over him. I mean, it looked like a great Halloween costume. A bit of blood staining on it, not too much. Just sitting there looking at us. And <laughs> this black and red handle of this knife just stuck out the bandage to the side. I mean, it, it genuinely looked like something you'd buy in a joke shop. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, what's happened here? Turn out this guy, I don't know what he'd done, but he'd annoyed his wife. 
and she grabbed whatever but I'd was say her hand. like fucking hell, yeah. yeah. it's annoyed in somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, she picked up the nearest thing and stabbed him in it. Turned out to be a diving knife, and <laughs> she hit, hit him in the side of the head with it. And this guy was really lucky, apart from being stabbed in the head by his wife. I'd say that's not yeah, that lucky. I mean, yeah. maybe he deserved it. I don't know. Okay, fine. <laughs> maybe he'd done Bernie's wrist. Bernie's wrist. <laughs> <laughs> and this knife had got stuck in the bone just behind his ear. And it's pretty decent bone back there. And it got stuck, just the tip of it had got stuck in. So you know, like you get a knife and a chopping board or an axe and a bit of wood, just the tip. <laughs> <laughs> not really that impressive, actually. Um, and the only thing that, because we were worried, like you pull this out and it's like, is he going to bleed out? Is this in his brain? Like, what's going on? And um, the only thing he'd affect is one of the nerves that runs over there that supplies your face. And he had sort of a droopy side of his face that will probably, well, I don't know if it will recover or not. I didn't see him after that. But yeah, so this poor guy sat there with this knife stuck out the side of his head was quite memorable. Something will stay with me. Do you get a photo with him? Uh, we, <laughs> not allowed, so we're not allowed to take pictures of, of um, patients without their consent. Just put so a pen thank in Thank you hand. for cl- clearing that one up. Yeah, yeah. So we're very professional. Yeah. We treated him as such, but it was quite, I mean, yeah, it's a good story. Yeah, that is good. It's comedy um, knife in me head yeah, story. Yeah. There's another, there was a good one, uh, a guy and his father who were farmers and they were putting up fence and they had, I think they had a fence post in the ground and they wanted to attach a bigger fence post to it. So they were drilling between the fence post in the ground, the wooden fence post in the ground, into the upright fence post. And they were obviously trying to hold it against the fence post so you could kind of get the drill all the way across. And they were probably using some big bolt or something. And basically the gist of it is, is that as they were trying to drill across, it was moving. So the, the younger guy, um, grown adult, was braced against the fence post they were drilling into to kind of stop it moving with his leg, kind of wedged against it. And the drill was going through, and it was this huge corkscrew, like what they call a wood auger. So it was about probably best part of an inch in diameter, and it's about two foot long. Two foot? So it's gone through the fence post on one side, and then it's gone through the fence post on the other side. And I don't know if it was softer wood or something, and then it's gone straight into his leg. So this guy turns up in A&E, having had the ambulance and the fire crew out, with his leg... One section of fence post no. next to it, another Still section attached. of fence post, no. and then the drill going all the way through the leg and both fence posts, yeah. Fucking hell, he must have been really tall, no? Was it like a stilt? No, no, so it was, they were drilling down quite low and he was braced against it. So I imagine his, whoever was drilling it was crouched down, um, but yeah, that was, that was pretty sorting. Well, please tell me he lived. He did, he did, and, and he's done fine, but again, you have to go to theatre, I mean... To, to have got that back out, you'd have actually reversed the drill. I mean, it's oh. not well. So he went to theatre. We took the bits of fence posts off the drill, and then you go in, dissect around it, so you make the wounds a bit bigger, so you can see where it's gone, what's what's involved, and then then you remove that drill and, and give it a really good clean because it's obviously it's pulled in a load of sawdust and wood and grot, oh. so you have to make sure all that's clean because that's a risk of infection. And then you you probably wouldn't. I don't think we cl- we closed up the wounds at that initial sitting. You make sure that after a few days it's all nice and clean, it's not got infection. So you take it back to the ear to give it another wash out. The patient's on antibiotics all this time, and then eventually you'll close it up. But it's better than the the ones you hear about where someone's mysteriously got a vacuum stuck up their ass. <laughs> Did you, you see go, the recent? Oh. You see the recent one about some bloke who had an unexploded mortar bomb up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> What? what? I'm going to find this. He had yeah. a mortar bomb stuck up his ass. What, he'd been kept captive or something, like Does tortured, this... and they'd gone, oh, we're putting a grenade up your ass. Let me just Did Google bomb mortar bomb ass. I think, I think I've, I've, heard, I think I've heard about this potentially in the news, I think. Here we go. 
Brilliant. Google. Here's your headline. Google search. Bomb, bomb squad. disposal up my ass. Bomb squad called to hospital after man gets World War II mortar stuck in his rectum. How big's this mortar? <laughs> <laughs> Let me find the news. Fucking hell. I picture a mortar being like the diameter of my head. Someone's head's up his ass. Hang on, let me load this thing. That would be important. Okay. The bomb disposal squad was called on Thursday after a patient arrived at Gloucestershire Royal Hospital with a mortar shell stuck inside his buttocks. The (laughs) The man is reported to be an avid collector of military memorabilia and claims that the incident occurred as a result of him slipping and falling onto the six centimetre by 17 centimetre piece. (laughs) Third paragraph. Upon realising that he was unable to remove the object on his own, he went to the hospital where the Army Explosive Ordnance Disposal Team was brought in to ensure the safety of everyone present. War enthusiast, was he? <laughs> oh, there's a picture here. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> no, nah, not having it. Don't want it. Chris, I'll show you it first. That's quite something. Oh, is it a picture of the instrument? Not of the... Is that the actual thing? Is that what he had up his... Is it slimmer than you imagined? I mean, it still looks uncomfortable. Joe? It's a bit pointy as well. Oh, that's doable. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's but definitely you, doable. That's fine. So definitely kind of do your years as junior doctor. There's always x-rays that crop up that you see. Brilliant. So you're like, mm, what's that? Oh, that's batteries. Yeah, inside ah. someone's tummy. That's a deodorant can. It's pretty recognisable. I mean, so Joe, you, got up there. you've had some explosive shits in your time, but you've never done <laughs> <laughs> Very, very good. My last... Uh, have you got any others that you wanted to get in? No. You sure? My last one. Hang on. Why is it called theatre? Oh, nice. Because back in the day when they used to do anatomical demonstrations, they used to operate on a table. This was before anaesthetic, so you'd hold someone down, you give them a leather strop, you know, this is hundreds of years ago, and the trainees would sit around. It was like an amphitheatre. The operating table would be in the middle, there'd be seating tiered around it in a circle... And it was a theatre. It's where you went to learn. That's what? how you would you would watch the, the the surgeons operate, and that's how you'd you'd develop your skills. It was so. Does no one watch anymore apart from the team? <laughs> we tend not to. Um, there's a few operating. So there's a couple of theatres I've worked in over my time that have had viewing galleries for other surgeons or staff to be involved with. Sometimes we have video cameras, and you can video bits of operations. They never work. The NHS. But. <laughs> There's a little, there's a little um, business proposition in that, Joe. Selling tickets for operations. Yeah. If you had a choice of operation that you could pay to see, which would you go for? To be honest, I'd have probably enjoyed watching that guy have his mortar removed. Yeah. <laughs> um, just to be like, and then speak to him after. Be like, come on. Yeah, come on. Little post-match. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's break it down a bit here. You want to tell me the truth? Like, you haven't just fallen on a fucking mortar shell, have you? <laughs> If you're into that, mate, that is fine. I don't mind a bit of pegging. That is fine. <laughs> but don't come at me with some bullshit that you just fell on a fucking mortar shell. All right? Anyway, on that note... <laughs> <laughs> it's quite aggressive post-match. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, it's been brilliant to sit here and listen to you. Thank, well, thank you, you so much, much for coming in. in. Thank you, Chris. Can we keep your number in case I need a hip replacement and Joe needs his nose doing? No, no I, could do, I could do it. You don't need his number. I can do it with Byros, can't I? Chris can I have your number. Fuck you. although i would back myself to have the ability to puncture your lung with a biro i don't think surgery's for me so i loved hearing about that but unfortunately i don't think me and you are going to cut it in the surgery world 
That may mean, Joe, that we need to try and raise funds another way. So if you would like to support the show, you can now subscribe on Apple, Spotify and Patreon. Search for, unsurprisingly, Joe Marler Show. Yep, and if you buy a bobble hat in January, you go into the draw to win a signed England shirt. So go to joemarler.co.uk forward slash shop to order your bobble hat today. Next order of business, if you would like another podcast to listen to before the next episode of The Joe Marler Show, let us recommend We Didn't Start the Fire. We didn't start the fire. A bit quiet as they can hear what I'm saying. We didn't start. This is a history podcast that uses Billy Joel lyrics to try and explain why the world is like it is today. There are episodes about Richard Nixon, Elvis, North Korea, Joseph Stalin and Disneyland. Search for We Didn't Start the Fire in your podcast app. Who's on next week? It's a sex worker. Hon? It's a sex worker, John. <sighs> okay. Fine, isn't it? Fucking hell. It's going to be a sex worker. A sex worker. Oh, God. I don't think we're going to be able to do that one. We'll see you next time. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. Sports Social Podcast Network.